This is Sustainable Conversation on the Broom Wagoon, season number two. Are you ready for the swing? Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sustainable Conversation on the Broom Wagoon, season number two, where we talk about sustainability and we talk about how to get this word a bit better because we as a cyclist or in general as outdoor enthusiasts we are not really probably the best example or any of an example for making this word as good as we think as i was saying last year we are not just superheroes without a cap but just with a down jacket we are like everybody else and we need to get a bit more educated on how we use our stuff what to buy how to buy and for doing that i invited to talk here some of the champions of sustainability all around in this case i would say europe but all around the outdoor world it's gonna be a bit different than last year it's not gonna be only bikes it's not gonna be products it's gonna be a bit more large in thoughts but let's start from the beginning Thanks a lot for listening. I'm Calamaro here. Remember, you can follow me on Calamaro CC on the Instagram and Broomwagon Club there as well. And remember as well that now down in the description below, you will find as well my COVID jar that became public because I just opened the campaign for the support of Sea-Watch and if you click down in the description below you will see that you can also donate some of your money to support the amazing people at Sea-Watch. I already collected everything from my money jar and I arrived more or less to 400 bucks but if you want to support it we can make this bucket even bigger. Remember you can share, subscribe and rate, please do it or comment everywhere google podcast apple podcast wherever this other great support for this publication and another thing that you can do is offer me pay me a coffee on coffee that said let's move on into the conversation it's going to be a sustainable conversation i'm going to talk with the guest of today that was introduced to me by sam sam rice do you remember actually another mini series a long time ago 50 ways on cycle the world on the broom wagon sam is traveling all around the world with his girlfriend becky now they're back in the in uk but still they know a lot about this outdoor world and actually put me in contact with the guest of today and we talked about maintaining garments maintaining bags and uh, materials and also something else it's not going to be only sustainability but we're going to talk as well about inclusion inclusivity and more women on backpacking listen to that and i will talk to you at the end of the episode Starting again, these uh, sustainable conversations uh, on the broom wagon. And this is a super amazing story because I got to know the guest of today because she is a contact from amazing person that is Sam. I interviewed him with together with Becky in the mini-series about um, the 50 ways of cycling the world. And actually, Sam sent me a message. You need to actually to talk with the guest of today, uh, because you have a lot of things in common, you can talk about a lot of things, and it's going to be, I think, super, super, super fun to have this conversation. So knowing that the guest of today does a lot of things in terms of sustainability and stuff, I thought it was the perfect kickoff into the sustainable conversation. My guest of today, hi, Nez, how are you doing? Hey, hey, Stefano, thanks for having me. 
It's just great pleasure. We had a lot of super funny conversations already. Uh, also, our talk during yourself driving from one side or the other to you from Euro in Europe. And then you are settled up. You are now in uh, your house in Slovenia, right? Yeah, I'm finally home after 10 days traveling around Europe. And uh, it's good to be back. Yes, that's super great. That's super great. Anyways, probably we need to start. Yes, I'm going to start from here. M mispronouncing properly your name and surname. So I'm talking today with Neza Peterza. Peterza. Peterka. How does it sound? You almost got it. Mm, almost, almost got as it. usual. Almost. Yeah. Neza Peterza. Neza Peterza. So is Nija, not Neza, as I called yeah. you for all this time. Nija. Okay, thank you. And sorry for yes, being so Nisha. annoying yeah. with calling you in a diff with a different name. No worries. It's a complicated name. <laughs> yes. So tell me more about you now, Nija. <laughs> yes, probably I said it correctly. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so I'm Nija. I'm Slovenian, but I've been living abroad for the last decade. So I lived in Hungary, in Budapest for seven years, where I owned my own backpack brand. It was a urban cycling brand called Blanchik. And um, the last three years in the brand, I kind of started feeling that this is not what I want to do because I was not contributing positively to the world, but I was part of the consumerism or a capitalist um, society. So I wanted to move a different direction uh, and that led to selling the company and moving back to Slovenia. But that period lasted really short <laughs> because in 14 days when I was here in Slovenia, I got offered a job with Patagonia Europe with their uh, Warner program. So the Wernerman program is basically encouraging people to, instead of replacing the, their garments with new ones, um, repair them. So basically the whole project is we travel around with the tiny house on wheels and we, we repair outdoor clothing or any kind of different technical clothing for free um, and it can be any kind of brand, not just Patagonia. Ah, really? Okay. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, but right now the, the the tourist has a pause, obviously, like many other stuff. Um, I'm yeah, just so showing I'm, you yeah. the, my <laughs> Corona jar here. One coin is dropped here inside. Okay. We all know why everything like this. So going around repairing stuff, especially in uh, winter houses and all like this, we all know why is actually on pause. Yeah. Because yeah, Corona hit all these things, and now all this. Hopefully, everything is gonna come back in the future with, uh, let's say, not. I would not say as normal, yeah. but as it is. And in that case, I'm gonna find another way to still support the sea watch with i don't know with my money and with everything and to support actually this amazing association with saving people refugees in the central mediterranean for now i'm still keep exactly. on dropping coins into my covid jar all the time that we're actually naming covid or whatever yeah. it is yeah 
Oh, okay. So every time we say word COVID, like you put a coin in. Yeah, probably. Okay. Uh, let me explain because actually I put it there like I was talking <laughs> with my audience and not with you. Uh, it was super rude for me. So that's what they do usually. Uh, in the last year, because in 2020, we all know what's, what happened and everybody was talking about COVID causing also, I don't know, bad feeling, depression and sadness in people. So I thought, I think that most of the time you need to talk about it because you have to give a context on it and everything like this. But on the other side, I didn't want to talk only about COVID in my podcast. So the um, let's say the artifact that I used was, okay, in order to, if we need talk about COVID, but not talking too much about it all the time that myself or any of the guests name something like COVID uh, last year, um, quarantine, everything related to that. This thing happened, whatever thing, everything related to that. I drop usually one coin that is one Swiss franc into my COVID jar. And then after okay. I actually <clears throat> fill all the COVID jar with coins, I will actually send everything, all the money to an association. And they decided to be Sea Watch. So the people that are really okay. saving people in Central Mediterranean migration, uh, sorry, the um, uh, the refugees uh, in Central Mediterranean, the they're yeah. there. And uh, yes, I actually, because I think that anyways, everything that we are talking about, for example, before you were talking about sustainability, you were talking about um, trying to give to the world something, a better future, everything like this. Well, I think that actually by thinking a bit more sustainable and everything like this, we are going to also help people not to, and consumism and everything, not to run away from their countries and then risk their life yeah. because climate change is affecting massively people in Africa for this reason. And they think that actually one concrete thing that we can do is actually giving them a better life, a better future, a better solution, starting by rescuing them. And I think that actually Sea Watch is doing super great in that. In a nutshell. Good concept. Yes. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Sorry, but I interrupt you when you were talking about, talking about, talking about that now actually everything is on pause because you cannot go around yeah. with your house on wheels and repair everybody's garment on outdoor clothing. Yeah, so basically like the concept was when I left the brand in Budapest to start... Um, outdoor gear repair um, brand or maybe like more like a studio here in Slovenia because probably it's kind of like a world-known fact that Slovenia is very outdoor sports oriented country. Um, so definitely there's a big quantity of garments which move through here in the country and uh, there's not really anyone who repairs them um, you have to know that repairing outdoor garments is something kind of completely different than repairing normal clothes okay tell me more about that yeah so there's a lot more technical knowledge um, and it requires a lot of knowledge about the care of the garments because that's basically how we extend the life of these garments. So, for example, like there is like a myth that you should never wash your waterproof jacket. And this is like, this is the worst you can do to the waterproof jacket. Not washing it because basically that's how you destroy it. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. 
um, I can maybe tell a little bit about this later, but it's like, yes. so there are a lot of stuff that people don't know. And like part of having a repair workshop is basically educating people. It's, I would say it's almost like 50%, like sharing this knowledge. Um, and of course there are specific machines to repair. Like, um, I, I work a lot with the heat press. So because of the tape teams, like to make the garment waterproof. So to make it waterproof again, I have to retape stuff. Um, so, and there, there, I would say that outdoor garment repair is like, um, it's like a, problem solving all the time like because each thing is different so you need to find the best solution to work um and for me like this is very inspiring or it keeps me going because it's interesting and it's a uh, challenging work it's not you know you don't produce collections you don't produce like same thing all over again because then the whole thing becomes a routine and um yeah, repairs are something I really like. And, and like the whole concept of the name behind it, what happened. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like every time a person brings me something to repair, my first question would be like, what happened? Of course. And <laughs> it's, so, it's so nice because you hear all these stories and you meet so many interesting people. Of course, sometimes would be, I don't know, like I hooked my jacket on a door or something like that. But sometimes it's a, it's a really cool story and there's like a whole adventure behind it. Um, so that, that's what I really like, the whole this personal approach to repairs and like getting to know people and like all these stories behind it. Yeah. It's like basically repairs are like cars, you know, like you always have a story behind the scar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. No, it makes it makes a lot of sense. If I can just step back one second, I just want to ask you two things, actually, about you, that we are going to go about everything that you do. First of all, I want to ask, yeah, maybe you, you mentioned that at the beginning, that actually Slovenia is really an outdoor and adventure area and the country. But how, how and why did you get into the outdoors into the adventure world and everything like this um i think we just grow up with it as kids and uh, i always remember there is this thing we have in school it's called like an outdoor school and you would go each year um at the end of school year you would go either you know like to the mountains or you would go to the seaside and it would always be including like outdoor sports. So, you know, I was taught how to ski when I was five. It was very early and it's just like, and there's another thing like you get in like a primary school, you get a little booklet um, where you have to, so on each summit in the mountains in Slovenia, there are stamps. So when you get to the summit, you, there is a stamp of the peak like it says like the name of it and um, the altitude. So you would have to collect certain amount of stamps during the summer. So it basically like forced parents to go into 
the mountains with you because it was kind of like obligatory. But then like when I think about it now, it's just like such a nice gift for kids to, you know, experience outdoors. And and these are always the things that I remember. Like it's such a vivid memory, you know, it will never go out of my head. Like these adventures. And uh, I think this kind of like sets the spirit in you and it's just it's been there since and uh yeah i went i do a lot of um ski touring with my split board ah so you're uh, one of those then you go with the split board yeah, you're not a ski <laughs> okay yeah yeah, yeah. no yeah. i'm trying to collect ideas um, on that because i also would like to do ski touring and hopefully i'm gonna learn a bit more this winter yeah um and the point is that uh, there are these different factions, right? There is who goes with the skis and who goes with the split board. There are pros and cons and everything. I think everything comes out with the fun of yeah. it. But yeah, no, just yeah. to know. I know whom to ask questions. I ask tips in the future, at least. <laughs> yeah. The the ones on skis don't really like the ones on split board. So it's like, yeah. <laughs> and what about the other way around? Do you people on split board like people on skis or? I mean, I don't mind. And it's always <laughs> good to go with someone who skis because then they can pull you. Ah. But then it's really easy to pull you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now yeah. I know why they, uh, they don't like you then. <laughs> because they are the one pulling. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, but yeah, it's super interesting, actually. So yeah, really, thanks to everything that Slovenia can give you, actually, there is also an education to the outdoor, and that's great. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of people in general, like, for me, it's really interesting. You would see on Saturday, on Sunday, it's like a family program to go on into the mountains it's like uh it's a thing you know because they're so accessible and they are not far yes it doesn't matter where you live it's so close like you would have like 30 minutes to the approach and um yeah i think it's a really nice culture like for outdoors yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, great to know yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so instead of like going and like people my age, for example, instead of like going out on Friday, they would say, no, no, I'm not going to go out because I want to go into the mountains in the morning. You know, mm. it's like, um, yeah, so yeah. it's nice. Going to sleep early to leave the morning really early in the yeah. morning. And then also the other yeah. way around, going early out from work so you can straight away go into the refuge or whatever. And then the day after you can wake up early and go up to the mountains. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that I want to question, and this is actually on the second part of um, yes, of this conversation that we are having, is sewing. So you said that actually you started your company of backpacking in Budapest. So actually you learned sewing as well. Why that? And uh, how did it happen? Yeah, that's it's a really <clears throat> unusual. I don't, I don't really know how it happened, but I had interest when I was younger, about like fifteen or sixteen, and I. And I wanted to learn and I was so stubborn about it because it's not like, it's the fact that it's not super easy and of you course. need a lot of patience, but I was so focused that I really want to learn. And I was just, you know, like learning on mistakes and keep on going and keep on going. And it's like one thing that kept my interest 
still like it's still like very interesting for me and i think why it keeps my interest is because the feeling you get when you are able to make something which is actually um like how do you say like it's a physical thing you know it's it's a product or it's a i don't know it's a thing that you can hold on and like this gives you kind of like a satisfaction um and that basically like fascinates me and i guess it's the same you know with working with wood or like metal or anything like that it's just like yeah because you know when you work on computer or stuff like that nothing is really tangible yes like you can't hold it yeah um but with this kind of stuff it's a bit different um so yeah and you know i'm not i'm not a professional in sewing there is still a lot to learn and it's uh, it's a lot of experimenting and um just talking with other people and trying out and uh yeah the limits there's no limit you know yeah. no and actually i think that it's also a super cool cognitive process to learn because i correct me if i'm wrong i always loved because i cannot do probably anything with my hands from repairing the bike i cannot do the only thing that probably i'm okay on doing with my hands is cooking cooking is something that actually okay. i like i take my time and i do everything that i need and uh, i know the different process and i like experimenting and this is actually something that I find super similar to doing also other things. You were talking about working with hoods or sewing or everything. You are really learning by doing. So, of course, you need to know a bit of a theory. And, uh, for example, you're talking about temperature or material to use to repair things or whatever. But actually, most of the time is listening to people that are teaching you or they are telling you what happened in order to have the problem that they have. And then trying to find the solution by doing. And that's super interesting. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like concerning the repairs, I had a really good mentor. Um, it's a lady from Munich. Um, and she took me in for an internship for three weeks. And basically she was, she was super open to share all her knowledge uh, with me because there are very little people in Europe, actually, who have this knowledge. Um, and you know, it would be very easy for her to say, yeah, I'm not going to teach you because then you're going to be my competition. But then it was like, but wait a minute, if I don't share this knowledge and give it further, like who will then teach the youngs and you know, how will this contribute to the better good? Like it will not. So I think this is really important. That's why I also... Like if there is a possibility for a customer to repair their things by themselves, I always explain them how instead of me taking it. So, and I think this is like a very important skill that everyone should have to repair things because this is how we're going to get out from this capitalist, you know, like consumerism mentality to always replace 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 yeah 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 no yeah makes uh, makes a lot of sense and that's actually exactly the same thing that i like to think about actually two things i was thinking about uh while listening to you talking and first of all is about the teaching and learning by really sharing um your knowledge on doing something with your hands you're actually getting two different things the first one is 
letting another people be um, aware that is a better way of doing things than only replace old things with new ones or broken things, maybe with little issues, with new ones. And that's actually really yeah. sharing an attitude, the point of view that is great. And also on the other side, I was thinking that another cool thing is that actually by teaching somebody, you're also getting another point of view of repairing, in this case, of repairing things. Yeah. Because for sure, I'm going to teach somebody how to repair something with my method. But then the other person, by getting this attitude and starting working, can also have another point of view on how to repair things. And then all this thing is going to evolve. So in this way, you're actually growing a community of people that are a bit more aware on how to fix stuff and that fixing things is pretty interesting and important. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, no, I yeah. think like what's also important to highlight is that it's also spreading this knowledge then when when you need to replace something that you should replace it with something that is first repairable. Of course. And like there is an option of like you need to see like if the brand actually offers repairs or what are the options of repairs. This is like um, a good example is like phones, you know, like buying phones. And there are so many with like most of the phones are like not repairable no. actually. And it's like um, uh, there is actually a word for this. It's called pl planned um, obsolescence or something like that. Ah, yeah, I would yeah. have to check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. <laughs> actually, they are planning actually your phones to be uh let's say useless after some years yeah exactly so yeah and and you know like with the garments it's like it's very easy to look at the garment and see like how long it's gonna last like considering like what kind of zippers it has or like how it's made inside but obviously you need to have this knowledge to see this so i always like when I, when I have a customer or someone is interested, like I always tell to them what to look for, you know, like what is like a long lasting garment. Um, you know that actually this question is arriving, Nija, right? Which one? <laughs> Give us at least two or three ways to recognize a, uh, something like a garment or whatever it is. You can decide which one. And how can we can judge this thing as something that is valuable and also can last a long time? Yeah. So, for example, one one thing is really um, it's really obvious, and that's a zipper um, zippers on the garment. So, the bigger they are, or more robust they are, the longer they're gonna last. Okay. And there's another thing with the zipper. So they're like three biggest manufacturers in the world that most of the brands use. And that's uh, YKK, and then you have uh, Riri and another one, uh, T-Zip. So if you can, you should buy a, a jacket with one of those brands. But why? It's because they're, you, it's easy to find a part like which is broken. So you can actually repair it. But if there is a no-name zipper there is no chance you will find a like a slider which will fit it's like a one in a million option 
Okay. So that's one thing. Um, and then, as I said, like the bigger the zipper is, the better it is. Um, then you should avoid, there was a trend for a long time and it's still happening. Like, um, like garments wouldn't be sewn, but they would be like glued together. And that's also with the bags, you know, like when, when stuff are just glued and not, not sewn that, that already calls for a disaster in, in few years because glues just don't last forever. That's okay. fact. Yes. You know, um, and I know probably it's very attractive, like that there is no seams and you have like all these nice lines glued together, but it's just, it's, it's no go. Um, and then, yeah, there is also this trend of like ultralight, like everything is super thin and, and super light. But the fact is that those stuff, they just don't last long because they're so sensitive to, you know, any kind of abrasion or like if you would fall with the ultralight jacket, you can just throw it in the trash because it's like, um, so you need to put on a scale, you know, like what's really important for you, you know, like long, longevity or like hundred grams less on your bike, you know, it's like, um, yeah. And it's nowadays, it's very easy to go for a better and lighter and i don't know because it's so cool you know but if you think about 10 years back like there was no ultralight so but people still did the same thing so it's like what's the point really <laughs> yeah and probably also the same yeah. speed i can tell you <laughs> yeah or faster <laughs> yeah exactly yeah no yeah I just want to also ask you another question. This is really going a bit more in the nerd thing instead of your story, but I like this kind of conversation. <laughs> yeah, You're super cool. knowledgeable and I love it. Um, <laughs> what can you tell me about materials then? Also in terms of durability, durability and reparability. Um, are we talking about garments or bags or both? Can we talk about both? Yeah. Probably we can so, start from garments, I think, is uh, something that is really everywhere. So something like everybody has it. Yeah. And then we can talk about bags if you want. Yeah. So garments, like, I don't know what you know about all these PFCs, uh, which they're used in this durable water repellent layers. So to make a garment waterproof, they always put like a layer on it. Um, and it's called durable water repellency. And those stuff are really toxic, toxic for the environment. Um, like I'm talking about microplastics and how they go into our water. Um, but now the new law has been accepted and all the new materials which are produced, um, they will have to be PFC free. Mm -hmm. Of course, yeah. Um, yeah, but there's still a lot of old materials which are on the market, which probably are enough to last us for another hundred years. Mm -hmm. So the question is then, how do we get rid of those um, respectfully for the environment? So what I would say, like best materials for for garments is definitely the ones which are going to last really long. So 
I think even if the decade is toxic, you know, I would say important thing is that it's like a strong, durable material and you take care of it properly. So it's going to last you at least 10 years mm-hmm. instead of, you know, replacing every year because you're doing like, I think you're doing more damage if you buy every year a sustainable jacket, let's say, or like a toxic free jacket. And then you have 15 jackets, which is trash instead of buying one yeah. and having it for 10 years. So, and this is basically with all the stuff, you know, it's better to buy something and like take care of it and repair it than replace it. Even if it's like, let's say good for it, that it's not so bad for the environment. Okay. Let's call it. Okay. Um, but yeah, for the jackets here, it's again like this topic, like ultralight and you have all this millions of new membranes, you know, like they're coming up with new solutions brands all the time, but at the end, like a three layer jacket, um, is the best one, you know, like okay. I would say, I would say avoid two, two layer jackets. Definitely. Those are the worst. <laughs> okay. Okay. Because actually, even if they are, let's say, super lights or whatever, probably they are not going to keep you warm as well or dry. Um, they will keep you dry, but they are made in a way that the inner layer, the membrane, always starts to delimitate. Ah, that's the way. Uh, in terms of durability, you mean? Ah, perfect. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But, but here it's again, you know, like, Waterproof jackets should only be worn when it's raining. That's not a good thing. because you're cold. So that's yeah. Okay. Um, but a lot of a lot of people use it as a wind stopper, you know. And it's this is not like what I mentioned in the beginning. Like why you need to wash your jacket is because all the all the sweat and the oils from your body they enter the membrane and they clog the pores of the membrane. Yeah. So basically like when it would be raining and you would be sweating in your jacket, there would be a blockage, you know, no air could come out because it's blocked from the outside and uh, from the inside and the outside pores are blocked from dirt, you know, from the road. Yeah. So there is a condensation between the two layers and that makes the membrane delimitate. So, and then it doesn't do the job anymore. So basically the water would get stuck in between and you wouldn't be dry anymore. So, and then a lot of people is like, oh, I just bought this, I don't know, 600 euro jacket last year and it doesn't work anymore. And I always ask like, yeah, did you wash it like at least once? And they were like, oh no, I didn't know I need to wash it. Okay. And and yeah, basically once it eliminates, you destroyed it. So there is no way back, you know, I can't fix it anymore. So it's, um, yeah, so this, this kind of stuff. And, you know, if, if you follow this procedure of like, washing it and like re reproofing it like the jacket can really last you 10 years and how can um, you there is special products or anything that you can use for re waterproof it or you have to do it or yeah. i can do it as well or just by washing this could be another yeah thing. everyone can do it at home okay um yeah so 
they recommend like if you wash it if you wear the jacket regularly i would say like and you sweat a lot in it that's the main part mm-hmm. you should wash it at least um every two months or at least at the end of the season okay um and the washing the washing is pretty simple like what you need to know is never use a um, softener of course okay that that's the main thing and then just wash it on 30 degrees in the in the washing machine with a, with a very mild uh, detergent or, or there are even special products on the market if you go into any outdoor shop they usually have like care products um so and then if the jacket is quite new and let's say if it's like one year old you don't need to reproof it because the the layer of this durable water repellency is still on it but to reactivate it you would have to put the jacket in a dryer for 15 minutes ah so actually the dry drying machines are not enemies of our waterproof jackets they are actually friends yes okay Uh, they're enemies if you use very high temperature and long long time because then the tapes come off so the glue Mm-hmm. come off but if you just use 15 minutes on a low temperature it kind of makes these molecules of dvr like to burst so they would it's like balloons so they would like get so close to each other that the water doesn't come in between basically oh. it's it's chemistry <laughs> okay 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 so yeah <laughs> the best way to maintain then your uh yes uh your rain jacket is wash it if you use it a lot, once every two months, otherwise at the end of each season, and wash it with really delicate soap and uh, 30 degrees, no softener, and remember yeah. after maybe a couple of seasons to put it in the drying machine for 15 minutes and not super high temperature to reactivate the, the protection from the, from the water. After every washing, you do that. After every washing, you have to like, do it. Okay, so after every washing, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But like if you have the jacket for longer, then you can get this uh, liquid, which is like reproofing liquid in an outdoor shop. And you just follow. There, there are different instructions, depends on the brand. So, okay. But it's all very simple and everyone's able to do it at home. Yes, so. yes, that's perfect. And another thing that actually came out uh, for me, uh, listening to you, you said try to use most of the time three layers jackets instead of two layers jacket. What's the advantage of having a three layers jacket? They're uh, they're just more durable because the material is stiffer. You get another layer in between. So um, yeah, they just you know like for this rough environment like mountains or like even cycling you just need something like which is strong yes um and yeah even like you know if it's two layers then you have a thicker material so the water doesn't go you know you don't get wet that fast as you would get in an ultralight jacket okay yeah but i know i know they're a bit heavier to carry but think it's really worth it to invest in a good jacket yeah uh you know what talking about jackets and garments and stuff another so i do like a lot of people do i have how do you call it one of those micro puff uh jackets 
of the brand that you mentioned of Patagonia. Uh, how do you call it? Something like under jackets? I don't know how to call it, but anyways. One insulating. Of, yes, yes, the insulating. Get, I usually yeah. use it for basically almost over the winter, uh, all over the winter to go around in the city. And then if I need to go I don't yeah. know, in other places and stuff, I know that actually the temperature changes super fast. I know that actually I will keep myself warm with it. Is there any... Yeah kind of tip that you can give because i think a lot of people have it uh, that you can give to us in order to keep it in a good state or maintain it because i think that also this one are jackets that can last forever if you keep them in a proper way yeah so so there are two types of insulating jackets like one is synthetic insulation and the other is like a animal feather yes. insulation and they're a bit different require, requirements of how to take care of it and definitely it's easier to take care of a, a synthetic insulation jacket um, because in terms how to wash it um, the process of washing a feather jacket down jacket is is um, is a bit longer and requires some patience but it insulated jacket it's basically like with any other garment um, washing. So again, just putting it in a... But the problem with synthetic insulation is that it starts to stink way earlier because it doesn't have this natural anti-odor thing as down, for example. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I... I I also have one of those and I experienced that, you know, that they, get, super early, they yes. stink quite yeah. fast. Yeah. Um, so yeah, 30 degrees, uh, washing machine, um, and then dry it on a flat surface. So not hanging. Uh-huh. That's because, great. Yeah. Because then like the insulation just like kind of like rolls down in and you don't get like an even spread of insulation. Okay. Um, but you could usually says on the label that you can put it in a dryer, but that all depends on, on the outside fabric. You know, if it's like super thin and like very, very synthetic, it might melt. So, you know, just, just follow, follow the label. Um, but the down with down garments, it's a little bit more complicated because you get this, I don't know if you ever tried to wash like a down sleeping bag or a jacket. Yeah, it happened uh. <laughs> to me with a blanket, one of these uh, yeah puff blanket or whatever. I washed it. Yeah. It was natural one. I washed it, then I hanged it in order to dry it out. Yeah. I completely wasted yeah. that. I wasted. I had to. Yes. Yeah. I need to go actually to somebody like you and tell. Okay, uh, can I recover that properly yeah. or yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the problem is that the, the feathers, they clump together yeah. in like little balls and just everything goes to the, to the same place. And uh, like the, the biggest part in down garments is like the, the drying part. So, for example, to dry a sleeping bag, it takes like seven hours and you have to be next to the dryer kind of all the time. Um, so usually dry it with some kind of like balls, like tennis balls. So they would hit the garment or the sleeping bag inside the machine, which helps this little balls to like un unclog. Um, and then you have to take it out to like every 
15 minutes or every 20 minutes and like shake it to like spread the feathers evenly. Um, yeah, it's kind of like time consuming, but the thing with the down garments is that you don't have to wash it that regularly because they don't produce like such stink or yes. like odor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, yeah, it makes uh, a lot of sense. And we're talking as well before about bags and you were talking about the materials or bags. Uh, tell us more about that. What do you think is actually the best or better without talking only about materials, but talking in general about bags? Which one are the bags that actually are long lasting and easy to repair? How we can recognize them? Yeah, so I started to work a lot with the Dyneema, Dyneema fabric, which... Um, I'm sure by this time a lot of people know what it is. Um, and it's one of the the most durable fabrics in the market, basically. Um, and here it's again, you know, when we talk about garments in the bags, it's you should buy something that you know it's going to long last, that it has durability and strength. And Dyneema is one of those fabrics that are super light so you don't get the this whole like weight issues like with cordura or something mm -hmm. like that and it's still super 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 durable and it's very easy to repair you know it's just if you get a hole in it it's just it's basically just a sticker you patch you know, it you don't need to do yes yeah like like you would put a bandage on a cot you know it's same thing um but yeah like as i said earlier it's way better i think to buy bags which are sewn instead of like glued together um but but a lot of people like the advantage of waterproofness when when the bags are not sewn but i always say like listen you can always put stuff in dry bags you know it's like And those dry bags are, you know, they're 20 grams, 30 grams. Like at the end, it's not such a big difference. But to, for example, repair a zipper on a, on a taped or on a, they're now really popular, like brands, like, I don't know if I should name them. You can do that. There <laughs> uh, are two. So there are two main brands, like who are doing this kind of bags. One is like Ortlip and the other one is Apidura. Um, and they're really nice and functional, but but to repair those bags, it's really hard. Okay. Because like everything is like glue in, glued together. And um, basically the machinery which they produce these bags is only available you know, in big productions, let's say in Middle East or in East countries and not here. So I, I don't have access to this kind of machinery. So I have to like experiment or I have to like sew it and then glue it and it's complicated and it will never look similar to what it was before. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. And, you know, like all the bags that I make, it's, I always try to think of... Uh, way how to make them that it's going to be easy to repair you know it's like not complicated and not like hide stuff you know like there's a lot of bags or even garments they are made in a way you know inside would be like a complete mess and they would put like a lining over 
so you don't really see like what's in the back mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so it's kind of and then you know i would open a jacket and i'd be like whoa like who are selling that you know it's just uh yeah this kind of mentality just um and it's always i think it's good to buy from small makers because they have the capacity to repair your stuff you know it's uh they know exactly how they made it um and like i think the bigger the brand for them it's way easier to replace the thing than than actually repair it because they work in such big quantities yeah. that you know for them it's like a peanut money to replace it instead of repair it. like repair would cost more mm-hmm. than actually like a replacement yeah 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 no actually um, on this topic I completely see what you're saying. And actually, even if I think that Tapidura now, they have in place a system to repair uh, their their bags, I think that they're actually going around as well or they're just giving them to different shops and stuff to repair it. But I also completely understand mm-hmm. what you mean. That's why actually my bicycle bag, my bike packing bag, I made them with... I'm going to name it, yes, because he's a super nice guy. Uh, I made it with uh, Ark, so Andrea. I also have an episode with him on the podcast. Um, okay. For exactly the same reason. So he's a sewer, he knows what he does. We decided together, what's your need? What is going to be the best for you? That's the material that we are going to use. For example, for me, weight is not a problem. For me, what was more important to have something yeah. waterproof and uh, cool to see. And for this yeah. reason, I actually, for example, went instead of going... Uh, the most, let's say, the biggest part in Dyneema and then the other parts to cover and stuff in Cordura, I did the other way around because I liked a bit more the style. Okay. Uh, and also in this way, I know that actually if something is going to break, anyways, they are really durable. I have them now for a couple of years, nothing happened. But if something is going is gonna to wear out or something is going to break or just I want to have some little different, for example, instead of having the straps, yeah. if in the future I want to have cord all over, I know that I can send them back to him and he can repair yeah, it for exactly. uh, and that's super amazing. And I think it's actually exactly the same thing that actually you are telling now the same thing that we are doing. Something like working together with people to have bespoke garments and not garments, but bespoke bags and everything that you're producing. So actually you can work with them. And also on the other side, you will know 100% which one was the process to produce it. And also if they need some repairing, they know what, whom to ask and you know how exactly. to do it. Uh, we're going to talk yeah. in one second about actually this bespoke thing of your bags and stuff, but I want to ask you two questions first. So we are going to actually move around a bit uh, on the topics and still I want to keep in the repairing one because we need also some curiosity and anecdotes. I won't, I'm going to ask you two questions. First question is, which one is the most common common uh, thing that you have to repair so, I mean, so the common thing that breaks in which garment and what is the thing? And the second thing, which one was the most rare, the impossible thing that you have to repair? You would never expect that you have to repair something like this. Um, like the most common thing is like, uh, it's like burns from a bonfire. Okay. So people would, <laughs> people would go with all these like fancy jackets, you know, like to a bonfire or have like a fire at home like outside and then the next morning they would wake up and they would have like little holes everywhere um and uh, i was repairing a jacket in the winter 
and I had to, I put like little stickers on it with, uh, with like a repair tape. And I think it was around 58 holes. Ooh. 58 holes. So for sure so like was not a cigarette. <laughs> so for sure was not a cigarette. It was a bonfire. I mean, you it never could know. have been a cigarette as well. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say that. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, so that, and then I always like when I go to a party or like a bonfire and I always like scream, like everyone put your really good jackets away. But I have as well, you know, like I, my jackets are also like full of these little holes and just, uh, yeah, you just can't avoid it. Okay. Um, so the most weirdest thing, I don't know. That was once I had a repair event in uh, in uh, at Lake Bochin in Slovenia, um, and it was stated that it's like a outdoor gear repair, but people just use the opportunity that it's like a clothing repair. Um, and the lady brought me her bra <laughs> to repair. That was kind of weird, but not like. Not no uh, weird story behind it. But anyways, it was repairable, uh, and you repaired it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was that's important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I can't like this. I didn't really think about like really cool stories, but yeah, we get a lot of really cool stuff at uh, Warner, obviously, because there's such a big quantity of repairs daily. Um, yeah, and we always ask like, what's, what's the, what's the story behind it? And, and there is a, there is a, even like a website, if, if you're interested in these stories, like, uh, if you go on Warnware, like they, they're really cool stuff. Oh, what's the name it. of it? Sorry. Warnware. Warn. Like. Where. Where. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. It's really nice, like, how people have uh, sentimental value to the stuff. And, you know, like, they either inherited it from parents or someone else, or, like, it's going from family to family, or, you know, like... And I think that this is really nice, that the garments that you have in your closet, that you can tell stories about it, you know, where have you been? with it you know it's like a it's like a piece of memory um and 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 then it's the same like you know when you buy something quality and you have it for a really, really long time that just increases the chances that you will have more stories with it and it's gonna have bigger value with it um and i think that's the same with like um having custom made gear you know it's because you knew exactly what you wanted that's just going to increase your um, value for it. And and you're not going to be just, oh, next year I'm going to get another one. You know, it's just, yeah, it just has bigger value, I think, like uh, sentimental value. Yeah. I, on this topic, I want to tell you actually two things. And they're about myself. And these are things that I don't know. Sometimes I think about that. I think, okay. So the first thing is that usually <laughs> I always buy a lot of um, 
stuff that are durable and everything. And for example, now I am in the problem that I always bought uh, cycling stuff that are pretty durable and good quality. And now I have, because then after that, I do something like my own uh, jackets and jackets, jerseys and stuff. And so I have some of those. Then I have other people that give me theirs uh, to test them and blah, blah. So now I have actually my closet of cycling thing that is full of things. Uh So the thing is that if you are buying stuff that are really durable and whatever, you can also feel free to get your old stuff, but still in a good state and still that are good to beware. To you can send them out. For example, now I have to move house. Uh, I have to move flat now. Few years um, uh, in the future, something like soon. And then thinking about making a box full of these things and send them out. For example, to uh, kids that are starting cycling or one of these uh, teams in Africa that they would need all the time some new clothing and yeah. stuff. So if you buy cool things and durable things, you can always give them away and share with the people your. Uh, memories and they will make their own uh, yes their own memories with them and this is super cool or I hope for example in the future I don't know one of my niece or whatever they would love actually to have to do cycling and stuff I'm going to keep a couple of those for them so actually they can wear them because still they are good quality things they are not the things that actually are going to throw them away straight after yeah and the second thing that i want to tell you is that now we were talking about the bags and we were talking about the bicycles so my bags are actually um custom made and everything and now i have in mind because i don't know actually the bicycle that i got for gravel or whatever something didn't click uh and so probably i don't know i would love to have something that is not carbon and is uh, uh, made of um, uh, steel and everything like this to have something a bit more closer to myself but the point is that now I have been not thinking about selling the new, the bike and getting a new one, blah, blah, just because I have my bespoke uh, bags on it. So I think I don't want to get, get rid of my bags. And if I need to get rid of my um, of my bike, I need to get rid also of that. So for me at the moment, the bags are more important than the bike. And uh, that's another thing. If you're actually doing something specific for something, you're not only increasing the time and uh, the use of one thing, the bags, but also of another thing that is the bike. So exactly. that's also another good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. So we're talking about, probably here we can merge the two topics together. Let's start from one. We're talking about yourself doing actually bags, uh, bespoke that I actually custom made yourself. What kind of bags are they? And actually how was the transition between having one brand yourself and mass production? mass production in a small scale, I think, and now doing something that is actually custom-made only for customers that really know what they want and you can work with them. Yeah, so this was not the original plan to start another brand. Um, But since I come from a bikepacking world, a lot of people knew that I also have the skills of sewing. So it was like more and more friends started to ask like, you make me this because I cannot find exactly this or like could you make me a frame bag and I still like I still want to concentrate more on repairs and doing projects in that field um, but I always like a good challenge um, and and you know like I don't really produce like same stuff and even like if a customer comes to me I really like if they come with a whole list of what they would like specifically. So we can then develop together an idea. Um, 
and that's also like a beauty in it that each project is different and you know like people have different desires what they want or different specifications and everyone wants a bit different you know like what stuff they carry or where they're gonna go or you know like um so it's again like a trouble solving kind of for me like the whole design process um and i enjoy the process of basically creating the thing together with the customer so i like i often i get to speak to them like through skype or something like that and then we really come to the point that they get the product that they want and it's really going to work for them instead of you know just buying something off the shelf and it's it's almost what you need but it's not really I wish it had that other thing on it, but it doesn't have, you know, like, um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the cool thing about custom stuff. Yeah. And also I think that another thing that I actually found out about custom things and custom bags, especially, is that if you at a certain point will find that you need another thing because you want to add this other use to the bag because you didn't think about that before yeah. or you find it out by using that you need, people can always send them to their custom builder by yeah. brand builder um, sorry back builder and everything and probably you can add to that yeah. so it's something it's something that is evolving together with uh, with your use and that's super cool yeah de definitely definitely and that's what i was saying before like because the makers exactly know how it's done you know they put it together and you can't it's hard to customize something which you don't really know how it's made and then it's like you have to take it fully apart, you know, like, um, and it's the same with repairs. Like sometimes I have to take the whole garment apart to get to that little point there. Um, so yeah. 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 So actually the subtitles on that is go Tunisia. <laughs> if you just have something custom in mind, don't go there with a vanilla ice cream. <laughs> People want to come to you to have a custom-made thing. At least I try to build something special yeah. together. Yeah. I mean, the other things that I also work a lot with um, old stuff. So like uh, old bags or garments. Um, and then try to make it into something functional. So sometimes people would come to me. Hey, listen, I have this old backpack and I don't really wear it anymore, but I really love it. And it has sentimental value to me. Like, could you incorporate it into something new or could you make something out of it? And, um, and basically like, you know, you just like take something which has a value and then kind of give it a new life. So, people can then, you know, it just, yeah, it keeps on going. Maybe not the whole thing, you know, I have to dispose some of it, but just a part of it is still living. Um, so, yeah, this, this is really nice as well. And, uh, yeah. No, that's super cool that you're mentioning it because, for example, now I had the period of bike messenger, bike messenger bags. Yeah. You know, I had two of them, two or three, 
I actually received them directly from the manufacturer in order to talk about them and uh, use them and test them and blah, blah, blah. The point is that now I have this shoulder here that is a bit injured. I think it's because of my age. <laughs> so I cannot... And I think also is, if I have to be completely sincere, because it's exactly this one, yeah. is the one where I, where I was actually wearing it. So I cannot use this kind of bags anymore. And uh, probably that's something that can be a project that I can ask you to, to do because and to work together because I have something like two or three of them. Mm -hmm. And... I don't wear anymore because now I only have backpacks because mm -hmm. my back can handle better. Maybe this can be a good idea. If somebody wants to dispose, get rid of the messenger bags because they're old like me and they wear them for so much and then you, they injure their uh, their shoulder, they probably they can take out and make out a, ba a backpack out of them. What do yeah. you think? Or maybe I just change the shoulder pad to the other side. So you wear it on This your could other be another shoulder. good thing. And so I can also injure the other the other shoulder. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, yeah, usually <laughs> this yeah. Usually the bike bag. No, the cool thing is that these things that I have, so I have for some brands I have a chromie, I have a mission workshop, and I have also a fry tag. These are pretty durable. These are things that yeah. you can really use them forever. But the point is that I think that are not uh user friendly i don't know why actually i've never seen probably a messenger a bike messenger using a bag only on one shoulder because they would get injured as well i don't know why they came out with this kind of concept that i'm not completely interested on but i think that yeah. a lot of people have them so probably this could be a good branch moving up yeah. and doing something with those because i think that actually yeah they are not completely ergonomic. This is the word that I wanted to look. But actually, talking about upcycling thing, I just want to know a bit more about, then we're going to move on also with the topic. I know that actually that around there is the story and there are a lot of photos of the amazing bike packing bags that you have made out of some uh, Patagonia stuff. How did, did it come? It came out just as an exercise of style? You wanted a cool thing and make it a thing even cooler or actually was an idea coming directly from a customer how did it, how did it work um so how i work on this upcycling projects is more like i look at the thing which should be upcycled and then i think about like the options so i look at the material like what what part of it is like usable um because um, it's not you cannot always use all of it, you know, it's just part of it. Okay. Um, and, and I had this old duffel bag and, uh, I thought, who, hey, that this is a good material, like a really durable one. And, um, it could work as a bikepacking bag, like a saddle bag. Um, and, uh, cause you, you know, you could never make a bag from a jacket because it just it doesn't course. work. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And, and there, there are a lot of options to like make stuff from jackets, but we've seen already, you know, it's just been like chewed like so many times because yeah, jackets are basically the things that don't last really long or like, as I said before, people don't know how to take care of it. So we have a lot of wasted jackets. Um, bags last longer and there are a lot of people who like wear bags until they're really like gone you know like you cannot do anything with it anymore um yeah so this duffel bag was really a just a experiment 
um, how it could work. And it, it worked really nice. Um, and a lot of people liked it. Um, and uh, yeah, that was a big confusion. Like I, I put the, the logo in a way that it looked like it's branded. And um, yeah, there was a confusion that it's actually a product <laughs> of Patagonia. Yeah, but it's not. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. Actually, you inspired them. Probably you inspired them in order to start making also backpacking bags. Yeah, I don't know what's their plan. We'll see. <laughs> I don't know. We will see. Of course. Yeah. So, yeah, but it's not only okay. I anyways, this conversation about um, upcycling, custom producing things, and uh, repairing—it's super interesting, but. I know that these are the sustainable conversation. It's everything part, in my opinion, also of conversation. But it would be really a shame from my side, not talking about also some other side and some other projects that you have. Uh, we had the conversation uh, some time ago on the phone. And actually, you told me, yeah, but it's not only about uh, garments and repairing and producing. I also have another project that is actually a bike packing community for women. And... Uh, Probably we need to talk about that. And I said, yes, let's talk about that. <laughs> so tell me how everything is happening, uh, uh, happened and tell me also about, yes, the Sisters in the Wild. That is actually the community that you are uh, yeah. nurturing and uh, growing uh, for as another project of yours. You have 700,000 projects and this, is, this one is another one that is super cool and we need to talk about. Tell me more about that. Yeah, so uh, uh, Sisters in the Wild, it's been in my head for uh, quite some time, a few years now. Um, so when I started bikepacking, that was about five, six years ago. And at that point, it was really hard for me to meet other other bikepacking women, women. It was all, you know, like you would go on internet and it was all like bikepacking.com and everyone was in America and I was here and I was like, what am I doing? And there was really no one to talk to. Um, and at that point, it was kind of still fresh here in Europe, I felt like. Um, but I really wanted to do it and I, I went into it very... Uh, obliviously because I basically like never done it and I just like followed some pictures on the internet and I and I went to Spain for two weeks um, I did this um, bike tour called Altravesur and that was a lot of a lot of my first times like I never wild camped alone you know like that was I had a completely new bike and I you know, like I did like a super stupid mistake because I never used disc brakes before. And I was like, maybe I should just put some oil on my disc brakes. <laughs> that, uh, that, was yes. a lot, okay. <laughs> that was a lot of stupid stuff, you know. And um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all did. Uh, I did it as well. Something like it okay, was not actually cool. <laughs> putting oil, but actually I was cleaning it with the soap <laughs> that you use for dishes. So with a degreaser, basically. It was not a great idea. <laughs> no. Okay, cool. I, I don't feel that yeah. bad anymore. <laughs> no worries. Um, it happens. It happens. <laughs> yeah, so I came back from that trip and I was like, 
oh, I don't want to do it ever again, you know, on my own. It's too scary. And, uh, like, even though I completed it in the time I said to myself, it was like a big achievement, but I was so, it was kind of like traumatic, you know, it's just like sleeping alone in somewhere in the middle of Spain. I don't even speak the language. So it's like, what if something happens? Um, and then through, through the brand Bomb Track, um, because I had their first, like, let's say, bikepacking uh, bike, I met this girl, uh, Franzi. She's, uh, she's uh, the one from Tales on Tires. I'm sure you heard about it. It's kind of, the, they, they traveled around the world. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I think that actually she is also part of this book that I was telling you people before. Yeah. Uh, the 50 yes. ways to cycle the world. I think she's in one of the stories, Francie, yes. And I saw a couple of videos of her. Yes. I think she did as well the uh, Tuscany Trail together with her father. Yeah, exactly. I think she's exactly. the one. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah, Perfect. so we got we got in contact and then we... It was like online contact. We never met in person. And we went on this trip in uh, Dolomites. So we crossed the Dolomites together. Um, and for me, that was such a nice experience, you know, because I, I bikepacked with boyfriends or like male friends. And then this was the first time I, I went on a trip with the with another woman. And it was so different, you know. There was no proving of if I can do it or not and I could just relax and we could be like there for each other there was no you know I wouldn't say like competition but it's a totally different energy and this is yeah. when I started to think about you know an event which would bring together women who are interested in the same thing into backpacking um and then I had few more trips just with other women and, and it was like the, the idea was like slowly brewing, slowly developing. And then last year I finally decided, okay, I need to go further with this. Um, and I, you know, there, there was already this movement in, uh, in the States. I don't know how they called now. It's called we WTF bike explorers. Yes, I think that now they changed the name. I know what you mean. Uh, I know absolutely what you mean. My friend Nam is part of them. Yeah. Now it's something related to radical, whatever. But yeah, I know yeah. what you mean. We're going to find it out while you're yeah, talking. Yeah, yes. yeah, um, So, and, th and that was really inspiring. And I was like thinking like, yeah, you know, Europe is not the States because there are different cultures, different languages. And uh, um, so it's, something completely different and I was like how do we group this together you know it's like I still don't don't really know any other bikepacking women here in Slovenia so for me it's always been you know like putting it out on social media that I'm looking for a riding partner you know for for someone who would go on a trip and it would always be men you know and I'm like hey listen like I don't mind going with another man, but it's like, I don't know you, you know, it's like, I'm not gonna, yeah. So, uh, 
but then there, there, I would always find some other women and, 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 you know, like I kind of realized that it's always, it's such a small community, the whole Europe that you always know someone who knows this person. Um, so that was really cool. And I always felt like I kind of already know them and, but it's always a risk, you know, just going with someone on a two, three week trip that you never met before you know it's like it can work or it cannot work and like luckily for me it worked but then I was like how do we make this more accessible for other women so I thought like having an event where there would be a chance for these women to meet and maybe you know like then in the future they would go together on these trips but then I also realized that it's like we all, not just women, also men, we have so many fears, you know, of like going on a trip like this. You have so many questions. Um, and I think we as women, it's even more delicate, like, you know, just like what camping alone. It's not, it's not the easiest thing to do. Um so yeah, just sharing the knowledge and experiences and like go go in the line like, oh, if you can do it, then I can also probably do it, you know, like follow the example. Um, so being open about experiences, being open like how vulnerable we are, you know, I I talk a lot on my social media about my fears, you know, what I go through when I go on trips like this. And it's really, I think this is really important. So it's not, the picture is not like, oh, I'm this brave woman that can go anywhere. And I'm like, not afraid of anything. Um, so this is what I'm trying to reflect through these events, like Sisters in the Wild, just giving the option for everyone to learn, to meet other people and to just gain this confidence to be able to go on trips like this, you know? either alone or with someone else or you know with your partner um basically like presenting it that it's not so scary as it might look like yes you know yeah it makes a lot of sense and actually i completely see what you what you mean actually just by putting together you said before something like the bikepacking in Europe community is not that big we basically know each other on one or two layers um, and also just putting this community together and uh, letting everybody share about it, their stories yeah. and uh, experiences and just having as well a platform where you can find a partner to go out exactly. for a bikepacking trip. It's also super important because actually you can uh, uh, post somewhere or send a message or whatever, something like, I have this kind of idea to go bikepacking in September what do you have in plan? Can we do something together? Exactly. That's also yeah. super nice. Also, because as you were saying, bikepacking, like a lot of other things, is something that you need to do over and over and all the time you're learning some new things. So first of all, asking around will actually increase your learning curve, making it steeper and steeper. And also on the other side, you will always find the question that you cannot answer yourself. So by doing uh, a trip together with somebody else with more experience, you will always learn something. Exactly. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and you also, you kind of, the, I feel like it's like with any other thing, like the more you do it, the more comfortable you get. And, 
Yes, yes, yes. And the first time is always super scary. <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> yes, alone or together is always yeah. scary. You're completely exactly. right. I also still didn't... Uh, if I had to be completely sincere, it seems like I've been talking about bikepacking and traveling. I was in Kyrgyzstan following people with the, um, in the Silk Road Monterey and everything. But actually, I've never bikepacked by myself. It's something that actually I don't feel comfortable doing. Because yeah. you never know, right? You don't want to find yourself in a weird situation where you need to react fast or do something that you don't want to do. Or just easily fixing a problem that you cannot do and yeah. you do it by yourself having all the time some support is always good i can understand that basically if you do it in europe you always will find a village close by where somebody can help you but also on the other side for me it's kind of uncomfortable on dealing with this kind of thing by myself so yeah. i can completely understand the point yeah, yeah, yeah. um another thing that i want to ask you so you were talking about events and uh, sisters in the wild what is now? Which one, which one is actually the situation in the Sisters in the Wild uh, community? And what is happening in the near future? Yeah, so it's still kind of like um, Sisters in the Wild is still a baby. It's not an adult yet. <laughs> um, we, we had a first event last year in September here in Slovenia. And... Um, we had around 18 participants from all around Europe. Um, and it was it was a super nice, relaxed event. Um, it basically looks like this. We have a base camp um, and then each day we would ride out, but always return to the same spot. So it's all about, you know, community building, not so much about bikepacking. And yeah, maybe it shouldn't be called backpacking event, but just more like this whole like cycling um, community. But since we ride on like gravel or like in the forest and we talk a lot about trips, you know, it's kind of like bikepacking, but it could also be like bike touring or traveling by bike, you know, just in general. Um, and like after the event, there was a lot of um, interest in it, like from other brands or like uh, other people. And it got a lot of uh, interest in different countries. Like I got a lot of inquiries about organizing the same event in different countries. And then I was thinking about what to do, like how to handle it, because we were in the middle of pandemic, you know, um, so the idea was to to go on kind of like Sisters in the Wild Europe tour in spring, spring 2021. And just like visit different cities, different countries and like have the same event with the same uh, mindset. But then obviously like everything was still closed. Did you put the coin into the jar? I don't have coins with me, but I swear that I'm <laughs> going to put them on. And I'm going to put the sound on the podcast so that I will remember that they have to put the coins in. Okay. Yes, okay. yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so, and then a girl who was uh, on this event in, in Slovenia, she's British, Charlotte. Um, she then... We discussed it and she decided then to have a Sisters in the Wild UK. Um, and the first event was cancelled because they just closed the entire UK. Um, 
but she didn't give up and she organized kind of like a Sisters in the Wild festival, uh, which happened at the end of July. Um, and there was a big, big turnout. There was about uh, 70 people participating. Wow. Yes. Okay. Uh, which is amazing. Um, and there's been this movement going on around Europe, um, which I'm not saying that Sisters in the Wild started it, but it's like I could start noticing that there is a big, big movement of this little groups sprouting out like like mushrooms like it's groups where they have like a gravel rights so for women um and uh, they would meet every week and then they would go on a ride together and uh uk i think is like a special special place because it's such a big place and i think it's a very cycling country um mm-hmm. And there you have almost in every bigger city, there is like a community. And and then this event brought together all these little communities so they could all meet each other. And it, like, I, I was not able to be there, obviously, but uh, by the vibe of it, it looked like it was very empowering um, and something very special. Um, and I wish this could happen in Europe as well, you know, but it, it's at this moment, it's kind of impossible to plan something this big because of all the travel restrictions. Um, but hopefully we can throw something in that scale like next year. Okay. Um, yes, yes, yes. But still, you have been planned to the second edition of uh, Sisters in the Wild Slovenia. Yeah, right? there's going to be on the 10th of September, there will be another Sisters in the Wild Slovenia. Um, we'll see how that goes. Uh, definitely not 70 people, but a bit smaller scale. Um, and where is yeah. going to happen? How is it going to happen? It's going to happen in Blit, which is one of the two lakes in Slovenia. Um, there is a private campground um, where we will have the base camp Um, the nicest thing is that we have a chef which is wow (laughs) Um, (laughs) which prepares meals uh, super nice meals so we don't have to worry about cooking we just uh, ride and have nice time and uh, then have a really nice meal next to the bonfire in our expensive down jackets. <laughs> and then send everything to Nija again and uh, she's going to repair everything. She has a lot of experience with yeah. fire on your jackets. Yeah. yeah. And then the circle is complete. <laughs> yes, 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 absolutely. We hold the gold, they went the all round. Uh, no, idea. it's super interesting yeah. and uh, I don't know, Seems like, I don't know, just maybe you can tell us, I don't know, probably this is going to happen for sure. New things are going to happen as well. But how is the response for now? Our people are responding to the Sisters in a Wild in general, but Sisters in a Wild, Slovenia in particular. Are people already contacting you, interested, and they're going to take part? Is There is some, I don't know, something like fire lighting up there uh, more yeah. than the year before? Um there's definitely a lot of interest. Um, 
but I think a lot of people are waiting to the last moment because of the whole traveling thing. Um, and, and yeah, what is interesting is that most of the participants who are already applied or those who are really interested are foreigners. So no Slovenians ah, yet. Okay. Yeah. Because okay, last, okay. last year we had 50-50, 50 foreigners, 50 Slovenians, but this year it's mostly foreigners. Um, because, you know, like we, I have a girl from Italy coming, then someone from Austria and Germany. It's just because there is no events like this, you know, and it's like, um, but it's still only a three-day event, which means, you know, it's a lot of preparation to go to another country stay there and then figure out you know how to get home i think if there was no situation that we are right in now it would be way easier for someone you know to come here and 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 yes so we'll see we'll see um what happens yeah yeah but anyways, I think that actually, as you were saying, there is a lot of planning for people coming from abroad. So for sure, for this reason, people actually from abroad are already contacting and feeling the interest, starting planning. Yeah. While I think that women from Slovenia, they can do it also last minute. And, exactly. Uh, it's going to be just popping up there. And it's great. And actually, I really hope that still you have in mind the fantastic project of making this one something like a tour uh, sisters in a wild tour around Europe uh, next year and hopefully this is going to be let's say it's going to be happening and also on the other side this is going to also inspire people in other countries to create their own community in yeah, this sense hopefully it's I think yes. like if you kind of uh, seed you know an idea like just let's say if there is a small event that already kind of like sparks the idea to oh hey maybe we should like have something to meet more regularly you know not just once a year so it's basically i think there there is already a movement but it's gonna be bigger and bigger um and uh yeah i'm excited to see where this all leads and goes yeah um, yeah 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 that's interesting. I just want to finish with the last question. Actually, I have last two questions. Okay. And it's about, first of all, because I would love to the audience to know you a bit more. And that's why we were talking about a lot of projects or whatever. Tell me a bit more about your mountain bike guiding course that you just finished and project that you're going to have in the future. Because I think that that's everything related, right? Pushing more women on joining the backpacking and the cycling world pushing more people on having a sensibility about sustainability and stuff and riding the bike and teaching people how to ride the bike. I think yeah. it's everything It's everything part of the same family. Tell me more about that. Yeah, so I completed my uh, UCI mountain bike training this year. Um, and the whole point behind of it was to, to be qualified to actually lead an event like this, Sisters in the Wild. So, you know, if... There is no skills actually required to come to the event, you know, like, um, but since we ride off-road, obviously you need to know how to handle your bike. And it's really important to have someone with uh, knowledge who can help other participants to feel more comfortable. Um, 
but for me, like the whole guiding, I don't really, I don't really see like how I would work in this area because I'm the person who needs to have multiple different stuff at the same time. So I, I don't mm-hmm. really want to concentrate on one thing only, but you know, like occasionally for me, it's really it's super nice to show the country to someone else through my eyes. Um, so I would take friends out um, and and then show them around and uh, explore new stuff. And I think it's really it's really nice to have someone who's who has a lot of knowledge and can tell you a lot of stuff. So I'm actually really, let's say, interested in flora and fauna of Slovenia. So I would know a lot of stuff about like flowers and, you know, like medicine flowers and like what is like, what's that hill, what's that, you know, like to to talk a lot. And like, this is like a thing that I really enjoy. Um, But I definitely don't plan in like taking out huge groups in a commercial, you know, um, surrounding or commercial so what is it like a uh, atmosphere it's more about taking it on personal level and just because uh, i've been away so long you know from slovenia and like to be back here it's kind of like i'm guiding myself you know i'm like getting to know the country and it's so nice it's like uh yeah um and to be able to share this with others um you know, to, to really love the country, this is like, it's a really nice gift to give to someone. Yeah, then it's basically using the bike as a tool and not using the bike and the bike guide course and whatever, yeah. using it as a tool in order to talk to people a bit more about your environment yeah. and reality. Yeah, it's super I cool. mean, what this mountain bike training brings is as well, like teaching you how to behave or teaching you how to... I wouldn't say survive, but you know, when, when it comes like situation, trouble, when you're out there in the back country, like it teaches you how to handle this stuff, you know, like you go through processes of like bike repair, like first aid courses. So you really have the knowledge to, you know, help someone or help yourself if, if you need to. So you're basically like qualified to be in the back country. I think this is like really important knowledge. Not only mountain bike, but actually also bikepacking and everything yeah, that exactly. is there. Even just staying in the wild for a, while, for a bit. Perfect. I promised you the last two questions. So this <laughs> is the last one. Can you please yeah. tell all of us how we can find you outside there in the internet, outside there in the, no, so there in the mountains of Slovenia, I think that we have to write you and come over and visit you, but outside there in the internet on social media and whatever, to follow some, just some of the numerous plenty of activities that you are carrying on. Yeah. So, um, I have a website, uh, where you can find my personal stuff. I mean, personal, personal projects, plus uh, the What Happened, What Happened Outdoors. It's all on one website. Um, probably you will link the link at the end. Of course, um, it's going to be down in the, how do they call them? The episode notes. It's going to be in the episode okay, notes. Okay, cool. Um, but other than that, social media, um, 
There is also a website for Sisters in the Wild, which we'll also add at the end. Um, yeah, and uh, I'm happy to receive any emails with any kind of questions, um, but I'm even more happy to have coffee here in Slovenia, somewhere in the mountains. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Coffee outside, though. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Nisha, thanks a lot for the amazing conversation. We, I think that actually we moved in all the spectrum from nerding about maintenance and uh, repairing, talking about sustainability, talking about uh, beliefs that I hopefully most of us share about consumism and uh, what to buy, what to not buy, and how to actually try to treat our world in a better way. And then we talked as well about everything that is related to inclusivity and representation and talking about the things that we like to do, yeah. being outdoor, riding our bikes and enjoying nature. Exactly. And thanks a lot. You gave me a lot of topics to think about and a lot of ideas. And thanks a lot also for your... Uh, let's say for your vibes uh, <laughs> all the time being active or doing something good and never being tired on sign or try to do something new that's super great and this kind of attitude is the one that i value the most i can tell you <laughs> thank you stefan it was really nice chatting um yeah we could probably talk for more hours <laughs> yes i think i think yeah, let's say that if anybody wants to know more or wants to listen a bit more to me and nisha talk about other things just drop us a message and I can tell you that we can probably cover 78, 80% of the common knowledge of the world in another talk. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe, or maybe not. I'm just going to have another chitty chat and probably off records. Yeah. Thanks a lot. And uh, it was great talking and talk to you soon. Bye. And thanks a lot, Nisha, for coming on the Broom Wagon to talk, to share a bit more your knowledge, let's put it in this way, and to teach us a bit more how to maintain our garment and which one should be the spirit when we are going out and buying a new jacket, rain jacket to be precise, and everything that is also related on how to kind of renew your bags or garments and as well for organizing the awesome systems in a while. It's happening right now. Actually, it's happening on this weekend and I'm talking about the weekend of the 10th of September. I'm really sure that it's going to be a great success and everybody out there, just go down in the description below and you're going to find the Instagram account of Sisters in a Wild and follow it, reshare it and probably you're a bit late on that, but if you can, take part to it. It's gonna be great, it's gonna be amazing, and let's give as much visibility as needed for these kinds of event. Between the two of us, I mean, I hope we are a bit more than two, between us, just remember that you can share, subscribe, rate, and comment this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you feel comfortable doing it. You can follow me, Calamaro CC, or Broom Wagon Club on the Instagram. And please be sure that you can share this episode to any of your friends. That's super important. If you want, I can tell you also that down in the description below, you can subscribe to the Broom Wagon newsletter from this week is gonna come back in full force so in the complete version and as well remember that if you want down here you can uh, contribute to the covid jar for giving some support to sea watch or you can also contribute to this 
podcast by paying me a coffee on coffee. That said, wait for me because next week is going to be another amazing, sustainable conversation on the Broom Wagon. For now on, ciao.